السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بلفلسنز أفريديو إسلام إنترناشنال أهلا وسهلا ومرحبا بكم جميعا أوام وأكم باك تو إيتش نفري ون أفيو تو حياة طيبة الحمد لله أنا تيوزدي أفتنون We are always looking at how to build a blessed home منزلا مباركة create spaces where we are at harmony with ourselves our children our families and inshallah we are then able to be beautiful beautiful contributors to society now today alhamdulillah we will be chatting later on to our doctor and we are going to be asking her quite pertinent uh, questions inshallah we are going to be looking at uh, just chatting to dr mahnas patel and it looks to be a, a, a quite a beautiful interview right now though we are looking at something that i think uh, many of us struggle with in our homes and many of us find that we are not able to find a balance when it comes to this particular issue that we face now in a home alhamdulillah allah has made it that every person we each have different roles right the husband has a certain role and a, and the wife has a certain role um you know if you look at it in many of our homes the men are the breadwinners although in other homes you know there is this sort of move towards 50 50% where uh, a woman is contributing equally just as a man is, is contributing equally to a home sometimes it's more sometimes it's 20 80 sometimes it's 60 40 but everybody's contributing some way financially especially when it comes to the to the climate that we live in so it's not exactly you know as straightforward as it used to be where every person had their roles and it was quite demarcated and quite separated from each other in today's uh, environment that we live in it is a great overlap and we find that because of this many of the of our homes are functioning in such a way where everybody has to pull their part part in order to make the home run now let me tell you a little bit of a backstory of why i am chatting about something quite important today and this is because once uh, many many years ago a little text message a very small tiny text message it's a very well documented story uh, a text message about blueberries nearly ended this lady's marriage her husband messaged her and her husband said to her he was so upset that she hadn't gone to the store she hadn't made a stop and buy the blueberries and bring them home and so she burst into tears she was so upset because at that time you know there was supposed to be her afternoon off and she was supposed to just take a break she's been busy all week and that day she wanted to just have some time off and now she was spending the entire afternoon running errands picking up dropping doing all of these things and so just that tiny message about getting blueberries which sounds so stupid you know many of us probably thinking we'd say well it was just going to the shop if she didn't want to go she didn't have to go why did it set her off the edge but many of you who are listening might understand exactly why in that the reality is there is the sort of undivision or unfair i should say unfair division of household chores not the not the you know the crux not the no, no, not the core chores but the mental labor that ta- that all the extra things come up with right or all the extra little things that we have to keep in our minds so what tends to happen is as a woman we feel like we carry too much on our shoulders and our minds and so any little small thing can then send us over the edge so if you are a woman sometimes men as well this doesn't only come from the point of woman but there is a sort of seething resentment that grows and grows and grows and festers within us it truly festers if we are unable to actually develop this ability to realize that maybe i'm carrying too much maybe i'm doing too much maybe i'm not actually 
dividing my chores equally, right, or my responsibilities. So alhamdulillah, many of us, you know, you have helpers, they take a big part of it. But then there are other things that are, that can't really be shared with a, your helper, it can't be shared with everyone in the home. So there has to be this point where, you know, we have to take a look at the, the, the amount that is on your shoulders, on your mind, and let's look at how that is impacting how is it impacting our feelings towards our spouses, towards our children? Now, if you look at it, in many households, this happens. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's only the wife who does this, but in many households, it's you know one person. Sometimes it's the spouse, the husband. Sometimes it's the wife. Sometimes it's the you know the mother. Her husband might have passed away, but she's carrying all of this load of, of her children, and so that one person carries the brunt of the responsibility or the the mental fatigue of decision making and this is a huge one and more often than not it's the woman who carries it you know you've got to parent your own children and sometimes you've got to parent yourself you've got to parent your your partner and it, it's fatiguing because every single decision in the house and every single action that happens in the house is your responsibility so alhamdulillah in south africa we do have the luxury of having people who help us out and you know may Allah make it easy for those who don't have people to help us or help them out but generally speaking you know when it comes to the decisions about laundry when it comes to the decisions about when to clean what to clean what to buy cooking do we have enough snacks do we have enough um uh, vegetables for the week do you have enough meat for the week do we have for the month do we have have we done grocery shopping do the kids uh, are the kids clothes too small for them do i need to get a new round of clothing for them we're getting visitors i need to make sure that there's milk there's bread there's this there's that and so all of it now it means that you as a woman have have about a hundred tabs open constantly on your in your mind and so what happens is we, you know, and I always think of it this way, when there's so many tabs open on your computer and you don't take the time to shut them down, eventually you find your, 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 free, your, your computer starts to freeze. Your computer gets to a point where it can't function anymore. And we as women, and who carry so much of responsibility in our minds, you find that you get to fatigue levels, you get to freezing levels, you get to levels where you are so, 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 so broken because... You, you literally can't go on anymore. It feels as if it is too much. Now, this, you know, the topic that we're discussing, we're discussing today, why it is so integral into you having a calm home is because this mental fatigue that you experience and where this resentment that builds up to your children, to your husband, it prevents the mother from truly being present in the home. And so because we're constantly on a go, go, go mode and we're constantly trying to just fix, you know, everywhere and try to sort this out, that needs to be done, this needs to be done, that needs to be done. We can't just sit and say, for right now, I'm just going to be present and just enjoy this moment with my children. I'm going to just uh, enjoy this afternoon tea because in your mind you're thinking, well, after tea, I've got to make sure that they get to Madrasa and then I've got to come back and then pick them up and after that I have to make sure that they do their homework and after that and... So because the after that is so big, so you, I, your spouse looks at you and thinks, why are you not so happy? Why are you not smiling? Why are you not as carefree as you were when we just got married? And so the, the, the primary reason for that is your engine is slow. Your computer, your processor is not functioning because you are running it too hard and too fast and you are not sharing some of that load right so it's time now i think for us to understand how to take off some of that load slow down that computer can't handle more than that right 
take a lovely little um you know a, a, a memory or whatever stick or whatever it is and take off some and lump it somewhere else take it out of your plate let it get off your plate so the first thing that you want to do is and remember your intention is i don't want to do three things i don't want resentment to build in my heart i don't want to do all of these things for my family and then hate them for doing it and that in the quran is referred to as man and other where you start to remind them of all the things you do you start to be you know you you get so you have so much of animosity within you because you can't you know rest you can't get to a point of rest because you are constantly all the time you are there you are just trying to be there for them and so you find that you are unable to just put yourself in that situation or in that conversation or in that moment you're constantly pushing yourself behind and so the resentment pulls so how do we do this how do we fix this how do we attack it number 1 list every single chore and every single errand that you have to do write it down and this might be it might seem as if well that's something stupid to do because you know i i have chosen errands and i do them all the time why must i write them down it's like i do it every day but when you write everything that is required to to manage the home right so for example to the minutest things of every day i have to open the windows i have to, in the morning i have to close the cu- windows and curtains in the morning close the windows and curtains in the evening got to set the table got to unset the table we've got to cook the food we've got to clean off the table we've got to make sure that uh the supper dishes are put away we've got to make sure that the lunches are made we've got to make sure that i'm purchasing the wraps and the bagels and the cream and whatever it is for lunch i've got to make sure that there's fruit in the house for snacks i've got so all of those are absolutely small insignificant things when they are on their own but when you start to write them down and when you start to actually see the amount that it takes of decision making processes that you have to make in order for that house to run it firstly it makes you understand the full extent of your responsibility and it makes you realize that what you do is so big and so valuable when you say i just got to drop the kids and i just got to pick up the snack just got to do that you are undermining what you do when you write it down like for example you know when people say mommy i just want some samosas the lay layers and layers of 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 prep for samosas you've got to make sure that the that, that the onions are cut you've got to make sure that you bought the ingredients you made you bought the pur you made the lay you made the filling so it's almost six or seven different responsibilities on its own before you actually make the samosa and yet in your mind you're like i just made the samosa but that resentment to your family builds because what you it took you so so much of your time to do that thing and so much of energy and thought and so much of lists and buying and purchasing and insuring so by the time Yes child is that samosa your heart is fatigued completely tired for the amount of energy that went into it that's just an example right but what we have to understand is like we tell people in 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 careers and we tell people in the workplace we say to them you know you've got to balance your workload you have to make sure that you're not doing everything that you're not killing yourself out etc etc in the same way you yourself have to understand that the, what you do at home and what you do for your children is a separate workload so make sure that you are including all your essential chores make sure your errands you know you've got to go to return something pick something up drop something off and even those things that 
you know, that are not even your duties, but you've got to do it. Like, for example, if we're drinking water, the water's finished. You've got to make sure it gets refilled. Uh, you know, the, the, the rubber of the fridge might be finished. So you've got to make sure somebody comes to, to, to fix that. That's not something you're doing, but you've got to facilitate for that to, to happen. So if you set aside this time and you actually draw up this whole thing, it allows your mind to respect what you do and it also allows you to understand why you are so fatigued when seemingly it seems that it's not that much of things you are doing. And then one important thing is to take that list and put it in a place where the entire family can see it. Now this I think is an incredibly important one because if you have, for example, if the entire family has a shared notes app, if your kids are bigger, maybe you have a whiteboard, we have a whiteboard in our kitchen, whenever we run out of things, we just add it on there. And one thing I have noticed is when children see what it takes, when they are aware of it, sometimes they're not aware, not only children, spouses as well. They are not aware of the process that it takes to do something. They are not aware that you need to do so many things to get to a certain point. Children are not aware that they need, the, the mother needs to go to the shop, come back, buy this, bring that, you know, get this, sort that out. So they take things for granted because they don't understand the process that happens or the long, long sacrifices that a parent makes in order for that to be there. Now, you get upset with them when they don't appreciate, but you're not making them part of the journey of understanding that responsibility. Now, a typical example, I was chatting to my sister, sister earlier, and I was saying, you know, I think to a great extent, I think we do too much for our children, and it's gotten to a point where they actually don't even realize that this is difficult work. It's not something, you know, so when we were younger, we, we you know, we, were, uh, we played a very big part, a big role in my parents' actual, uh, you know, the everyday lives. Like when my mom would be baking and she would be, uh, you know, in the bakery, we would be with her. We would be dipping chocolates. We would have to pack. We would have to do everything. It was part and parcel of our life that we had to take. We had to be there. And I see many parents do that here uh, in Greenside. SubhanAllah, you'll notice that. If you go to the shops, the teenagers are in the shop, the young children are there, they're packing in the fresh fruit and veg shop, they're always assisting their parents. There's such a lovely understanding that, you know, this is our rosy, this is our risk, we do it together. Now, in our homes, when you explain to your children or when you bring them part of that, um, of those tasks, especially tasks that are not so visible, right? When you, you know, that the amount of effort it takes to coordinate uh, pickups and drop-offs and who's going to help help us with picking up the children and dropping off the children, incorporate them, bring them into that process. When, when it's, you know, uh, uh, when, you, when you're making decisions, for example, um, and I think a very easy way would be help, get your children to help you to send thank you cards to the people who actually benefit them in their day. And when they see the amount of people that you have to interact to make your house run, they will then understand what it takes to get there. So I was, you know, chatting to my one of my siblings and she said to me, she said, you know, I take so much of effort and time and put this beautiful, beautiful uh, wrap together. And when I finish and I make this wrap, my son, my teenage son takes this wrap and he barters it with his friends <laughs> for something. He's like, you know, I'll give you my mom's lunch. You give me something in return. And she says, you know, I... I, I don't know whether to feel complimented or because I or just to feel so flabbergasted because the reality is I, I sacrificed a lot of time and effort and energy to make that lunch. It took a lot of effort to make sure that that lunch is coming together, that, I, that the things that my son likes is there, that to make sure that not only is there a wrap, 
but there is filling for that wrap, there is vegetables for that wrap, there is a lunchbox for that wrap to go in, there is beautiful foil or lunch paper to wrap it up so you can go into the lunchbox and it doesn't get soiled and doesn't taste, you know, sticky and, and wet through the middle of the day. The thought process, all of that is on your mind and you, subhanAllah, put all that effort in and then your child just takes that and gives it away to somebody. Now, many times this is because the child is not aware of the, of the journey behind that lunch. It's just lunch that came to them. The spouse is usually not aware. They are so used to opening the fridge and things are just there. They're so used to it's, it's supper time, so you sit down. And so, a very, you know, without making it something where you are, you know, you're breaking your, each other down or you're being negative, you have to create understanding of the value system of the wor- work it takes to run the home. Now, once we are complete with this, we are going to go down to how do we shade now amongst our home and amongst the people who are inhabit that home. Inshallah, we are going to take a short ad break. We get back, we'll be doing our interview. And after that, we'll continue with this lovely chat regarding sharing our household tasks or mental loads and to make sure that there's cohesiveness in our understanding of the massive, massive role roles it takes to run the home. Barakallah feekum, jazakallah khair for joining me. Inshallah, we'll be back after this short ad break. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyibah, our show from 2 to 3 p.m. Monday to Friday afternoon with myself, Ma'alima Shakira Hasta, where the focus, as always, is to create a life that is tayyib, a life full of qana'a, satisfaction, gratitude and contentment in our lives we work together to build content in our homes now alhamdulillah before the ad break we were chatting about sharing our workloads and understanding why we sometimes feel resentment towards our spouses and inshallah we will continue with the chat once we have completed our interview right now though in our second segment of our show we are looking at babies and milestones and parents, you know, I know when I was a first-time mom, subhanAllah, and a second-time mom, I was quite worried and constantly checking to see for milestones and milestones and making sure that our children are, you know, go moving at the right speed, right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. can be very frustrating, can be very tiring for new moms as well. So to, to talk about, to chat more on this uh, subject, we are joined by Dr. Mehnaz Patel, who is a pediatrician and a new mom. Uh, her special interest is in neonatology with newborns, public health advocacy, and women's health. Dr. Mahnaz Patel, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and Mubarak on, on your new baby, alhamdulillah. Wa alaikum salam, Zalakla, for having me. Zalakla, uh, for that. It's been an exciting time for me. Um, we Alhamdulillah. Um, <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, babies and milestones is a very important topic, as you said. One of my special interests is public health advocacy, public health awareness. Um, and I hope that in doing um, shows and interviews like this, we're able to promote that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, now, before we jump into the interview as a pediatrician, how has being a first-time mom been to you, you know, with your, with your, with your whole uh, everyday life and the shift of now balancing it all? It's uh, me something brand new. Um, we we are so conditioned and you know so used to babies because being a pediatrician, having um, having that experience with newborns, but obviously being a mom yourself is entirely different. Um, I was saying to my husband the other day that it's it's something completely um, foreign to me and learning to differentiate and decide when am I a doctor and when am I a mom. 
So that is going to take a little bit of time and um, navigating that for me personally. But it's been an exciting journey so far. She's only two weeks old. So we still have a long oh, way to go. <laughs> that's, that's so lovely. Mubarak, may Allah make her the coolness of your eyes and enjoy these first days. But I do understand exactly what you mean. I think when you are sometimes an academic and sometimes when you are always studying and giving off of yourself to other people, it's difficult to know how to be mum, you know. <laughs> it's really difficult. But no, I'm I'm really glad. But Alhamdulillah, so you're giving us a different perspective today. So when it comes to a pediatrician now, you know, when it, I know for my my son, I was, you know, the Uh, what do you call it? The little uh, ticking off on, on, on the websites when they give you those little reminders that, that your child is like six months, so they're supposed to be doing this and they're supposed to be doing that. And I think that's really detrimental to a mom. So for yourself, can you tell us as a, as a pediatrician, firstly, first and foremost, what is the difference between a pediatrician and a GP, a normal GP for moms to understand? A lot of, like you're saying, there's so much of information out there, and I think as for any parent, it's going to be difficult to navigate. Um, for for me as well, even even as a pediatrician, knowing knowing everything that I know, you're still being bombarded with all of this information from all of him, from all of the apps and the baby app and the hospital app, and everything's just being thrown at you, and it can definitely become overwhelming. Um, knowing when to go to a pediatrician, the difference between a pediatrician and a GP. Um, GPs typically will see a normal baby, so they will be able to handle and see your baby for normal indications, for you know your normal colds and flus, your normal worries, um, your your ordinary run-of-the-mill daily things. But anything that is so is a little bit more specialized. So a baby, for example, um, for example, if your child has asthma. Your GP may be able to initiate the treatment and handle a basic treatment for asthma, and your child may handle it. But a child who may need more specialized asthma treatment, so we're going to our third line, even fourth line asthma medications, we would then expect a referral to a pediatrician to then navigate um, the more specialized treatments. So that's really the difference between a pediatrician and a GP comes in. Anytime your child is requiring um, a little bit more care, in hospital care, for example, in hospital care, that's always managed by a pediatrician, not by a GP. Um, if, it's a, if a child is requiring assessment for other conditions, for example, autism or ADHD, those kind of conditions, um, those assessments are need to be done by a pediatrician, not by a GP. So there is, there is quite a big difference between the two, but there certainly is a big role to play um, uh, where our GPs, GPs definitely have quite a big role to play in the spectrum as well. So when we look at our little babies in their first years, you know, the, I think the, the amount of change they go through is it's, it's phenomenal. So what are the type of typical developmental milestones parents can expect during the first year? So there's, there's a few things that we look at when we talk about milestones as pediatricians. So there are milestones that um, that are very that often are very simplified um, for parents. Um, needing to know when is your baby walking, talking, crawling. Those are sort of big things. For us, there are other things that we look at as well. So your milestone categories, we look at what's called the gross motor. So this is your big movements. Um, this is whether they are sitting, whether they are pulling to stand, whether they're standing independently, are they walking independently, taking those first steps. Those are big movements. We then look at what's called fine motor. Now, these are your smaller movements. So things like your pincer grasp, um, palmer grasp, being able to hold your hand, um, or hold a finger um, as they grow, being able to do up buttons, unbutton, zip, 
those are smaller movements, being able to hold a spoon. Um, those are finer, fine motor movements. Um, so we look at those as well. We then look at others, um, speech and language. This goes together with hearing. Remember, if your baby is unable to hear, they're not going to develop their speech. But speech development is one of the important things that we look at as well. We then look at cognitive development, um, and this is essentially problem solving. So um, how they how they communicate, not just being able to communicate, but how they communicate. Do they understand, for example, the game of Kikubu? That is such an important developmental game because that mm-hmm. um, that is um, teaching the baby with the presence and absence of a person, and and it's communicating so much to the baby. Um, learning cause and effect. So, for example, by about a month, by about a year old, by 12 months old, they learn cause and effect. If I do this, this happens. Um, if I stub my toe, it's going to hurt. So they learn cause and effect. They learn by trial and error. So they learn by making those mistakes as well. Um, we then look at social or emotional development, and that's, that's, that's our last category. And this is where bonding comes in. Um, are they able to bond with you? Are they able to attach to you? Um, do they develop separation anxiety? So separation anxiety is a key milestone that typically develops around the nine-month age. Um, and that and that is actually an important developmental milestone that we look at and that, that indicates how, we, how the child is bonded to you as parents. Um, so those are the broad categories that we look at as pediatricians. Um, mm-hmm. For parents, obviously, um, so a lot of the information out there will focus on the bigger things, um, so big milestones, big big moments in those um, in those key categories. Um, a good resource to look at is, for example, your child's birth card or road to health card that's given at um, in government clinics or in government hospitals. The government road to health card. It's got a really beautiful breakdown of your big milestones. Um, anything more intricate than that, obviously, everything is all freely available on, on Google, etc. Um, but again, a lot of it is going to cause a lot of anxiety to new parents. But so as long as your child is achieving the big milestones and you're able to see that they're achieving in all of those categories, gross motor, fine motor, speech and language, um, cognitive, as well as social and emotional, your, your child should be fine. Now, uh, Dr. one important question I wanted to just focus on a little bit today is that, you know, previously people would say to you that children, are, you know, they each one develops on their own, at their own time, you've got to leave them. But we do have, you know, a crazy, crazy raise in autism. And a lot of times, you know, it's in this young age that people can, their parents can actually uh, identified and they can do something about it when they're younger. Do you feel that this is something that we should be checking out for when they're younger? Should they be concerned um, is, if they, from that point of view? It is something that typically is diagnosed, can be diagnosed younger, usually not younger than, the youngest is probably around 18 months, not younger than that, but typically we right. look at diagnosing it around the age of three. So between between two years and three years we're going to look to diagnose it. Um, and that is usually uh, when you talk about something like autism, we're looking at those last three categories, your speech and language, your cognitive, as well as your social and emotional, those last couple of categories. Um, and that is where we're going to see those changes um, that may indicate a, a diagnosis like autism. Again, autism is a spectrum. It's autism. It, it, it may, it's not an absolute diagnosis. Um, it mm-hmm. doesn't require one absolute um, finding. So there are many, many things that we look at when, when talking about diagnosing a child with autism. Um, but we do, if, if there is a concern, 
So yes, like you said, we say, you know, leave, leave the child, every child develops on their own. But a mom, a parent knows. So you know as well, um, for example, if you have other children, you know that this child that you're concerned about is not developing at the same rate as your other children. They're not talking. They're not doing the things that your other children were at the same age. That is a valid concern. Um, and that's certainly something that should be raised to your pediatrician, um, or at least to your GP to get that referral to your pediatrician. Um, and that is something that we don't take lightly if a parent is concerned that there is something like that. Often we do get those referrals coming through the school. So um, a lot of the times now we have schools starting at grade triple zero or um, or even younger than that. And these early childhood developmental centers are trained or should be trained to be able to pick up these subtle changes that may indicate that there is something like autism um, or, 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 or the like. So it is important to, to take that to take that into consideration, um, but it's not something that I would ever advise someone to focus on. Don't yes, don't that's you know you, you right. as a new mom you may have that anxiety from 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 birth. You can constantly be thinking, "Does my child have autism?" Um, mm. And it's not something that's going to manifest that early. It's not something that I would recommend that you focus on and think about all the time. But certainly, if you see that the child is not talking, the child is not able to communicate, they don't have that social um, interaction, they don't have that bonding, those are signs that there could be something. So sure, bring it up then. But don't have that focus from birth. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly important you're highlighting that because you know nowadays it's like we want to diagnose too quickly sometimes uh doctor so when i'm sure you're at, uh, you know you've got a two two week year old uh, baby so i'm sure sleep is not your friend right now uh do you have any tips for us for establishing healthy sleep habits for our kids and for the little ones um as you said i'm not sure i'm in the best place to be able to give recommendations <laughs> right now um although um sugar thankfully she has been um she has been a good sleeper Sleep in children is very important. Um, a lot of development occurs during their sleep. A lot of their brain development, so their cognitive development is going to be occurring during that time. Dream sleep, deep sleep is also important. Um, so we know as newborns, they sleep a lot longer than, for example, a one-year-old. So a newborn is going to typically sleep about 20 to 22 hours a day. Um, they have very short wake windows. We expect them to sleep for about two to two and a half hour stretches um, and then wake up, have a short wake window um, and need to feed in that time and go back to sleep. Um, so that's typical for a newborn. As they grow, they, their wake windows um, also increase. So by about two months, we expect that wake window to be about um, up to an hour, sometimes even two hours that they can be awake for and then need, need less and less sleep. By about a year old, we're expecting them to only, we're expecting them to sleep about 16 hours a day. Um, so that includes your nighttime stretch. We hope that by then they'll be sleeping through the night. So that will typically be about a 10 to 12 hour stretch at night. Um, and then also requiring at least two naps during the day. Now, any mom will tell you that they try and time those naps so that it doesn't interfere with their nighttime sleep. And yes, that would be ideal to try to get them into that routine. Um, but not every child is going to be able to do that. But that is, what's rec that is what is recommended um, to be able to get enough sleep um, for that child. A lot of the times, obviously, sleep is such a, such a struggle. And um, one of the things that parents try to achieve is try to get that child to sleep through the night. It's not going to happen in the newborn phase. Mm -hmm. probably yep. only going to start happening maybe by about three, four months. Um, there's many that might say it started before that, and uh, that's incredible. 
um, but we wouldn't expect them to be able to sleep through the night before that time. Mm-hmm. Now, Doctor, when it comes to cognitive development, you know, you mentioned early, earlier their cognitive and social development. Now, I've, I've, oh, I know on my uh, show, I've always been honest about this. I've been chatting about it a lot. Uh, my son is hypersensitive. He's, but he, he has a photogenic memory, so he struggles with interaction. And so today was his first day at school, and it was extremely traumatic for me, <laughs> not for him, but for me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, social development is so such a huge part of their lives that I feel like a lot of times. We focus on, um, you know, intelligence, we focus on them learning, we focus on development, but we forget that, you know, they need to be functioning human beings who have to be socially driven. So as parents, how do we do this when they're young? How do we promote their language development? How do we assist them with cognitive and social development equally? So a lot of the research shows that starting cognitive development, starting language development actually starts in utero. Um, so even during pregnancy, it's important to talk to your child. Um, and uh, you know, having just been through it, and any mom will tell you that the child um, actually responds to voices, even mm-hmm. even in utero. So you may experience that when you are talking to the child or when there's a lot of voices going on, the child is more active, the child is kicking off more. So they are definitely able to hear. Um, there's a lot of research that has shown that certain sounds, for example, classical music, um, personally I've focused on playing playing the Quran um, from uh, during pregnancy so that my child was able to hear that a lot. Um, and there's so much of research that has shown that hearing, hearing those things even in utero is so important. Parents who read to the two-day unborn child, um, you're starting those neural pathways, you are already developing those neural pathways in utero. We know even the adverse effects of that. So we know that certain, um, in certain um, times when a child is, when a pregnant woman is exposed to a lot of trauma, so um, you know where there is a, a lot of domestic violence, for example, there could be screaming and shouting and um, gun violence, etc. Even in pregnancy, the child is exposed to that. The child is able to hear all of those things. It can have adverse effects on their development. So we, you need to promote, you need to promote good. Um, sounds even in utero and then carrying that on once a child is born so continuing and um, or at least in starting then to read to your child even then even in, mm-hmm. even as a newborn um, and then talking to your child so even when they are awake even as a newborn just ha- just talking to your child that's going to be enough that's going to be something um, to start that development the child's going to respond to your cues the child looks at you looks at your face they are responding to your cues they're responding to your facial expression they respond to your voice um, or your husband's voice or whoever's around them and talking to them playing um, those baby games and talking in a baby voice so sometimes it's quite funny when newborn um, newborn or new parents you know talk in that baby voice um, but that baby voice has actually been shown to be so important for their development because it's got the right pitch and the right tone um, that the baby is able to respond to and that's where it starts. Um, and as I said before, your speech development, your language development starts with hearing. So if they're not able to hear you and you're not talking to them, they're not going to develop speech. So we do have, um, and um, I've experienced a couple of patients where the parents are concerned that the child isn't talking, but they don't talk to the child. They don't have conversations with the child. They don't promote um, speech development. So there's no, there isn't that interaction. When we talk about social interaction, as you mentioned with your son, that social interaction is going to start at home. So if you're having that positive social interaction with your child, you are promoting, um, you're, you're promoting that, you're promoting them not uh, not being too attached, um, 
I don't like saying that because your child should be attached to you, but mm -hmm. they need to be able to have that social interaction with their peers. So um, you often find a child who has been isolated, unfortunately, something I think we saw coming out of the pandemic, children who were born in that time, who were, who were sort of confined and a bit isolated, didn't have that social, social interaction, may, we may have negative consequences going forward. Um, those same children are now starting school and are now learning what, how to interact with their peers, um, children who are the same age as them. So it's going to start with interacting with their, with their family members, with your nieces and nephews, for example, their cousins, your neighbors. You're starting it in a close circle, um, promoting, um, starting with play group, even when they're younger, and from about the age of 18 months, that they're able to get that social interaction, even if it's in one hour a week. They're able to see that there are other children their age, and you notice that a child is going to interact differently with children their age than with you. They, they're able to interact and play with children and get onto that level, and that starts that development, that social development, as well as that cognitive development um, at that young age. So that once they are school ready, they have that social um, development, they're able, they know how to deal with other children. They're not coming from a household where they were the only child and they had all the attention. They know that there are other children and they know how to share that attention. Um, so it's going to start much, much, much younger. Inshallah. Doctor, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and I inshallah hope you all the best for the for this uh, beautiful phase of your life, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. Inshallah we'll chat again soon. Keep us in your du'as. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. Listeners, alhamdulillah, we are at the end of our show. I know I promised to complete the list. Inshallah, we'll continue, inshallah, in another in another show. For right now, we were chatting to Dr. Mehnaz Patel. We were looking at, you know, newborns, and we were looking at babies, the milestones, when should parents start to worry. It's been an absolutely interesting chat, and inshallah, we will chat again tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, in our Wednesday segment, where we talk all things Sadaburthi Ayatir Rahmani, pondering over the, the the beautiful signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jazakallah khair for joining me, Malima Shakira Hunter, here at Radio Islam International. And inshallah, we hope to catch you tomorrow afternoon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi.